Well, welcome back to our podcast with Ben Turner. This is part two of the conversation with Ben, who is CEO of Origin. And I will ask him, just in case you missed part one, I will ask him just to reintroduce himself. But the focus for today, I mean, the broader conversation is about zero carbon lime. Today in the episode we're recording right now is actually about UK specifically. And we're going to take a look at a particular project that's just broken ground uh, and explore that in some detail. But Ben, for the sake of those that are coming into this episode before episode one, who are you and what are you doing at the moment? And then we'll talk about the project. Absolutely. Thanks, Alex. Um, so as Alex said, my name is Ben Turner. I'm the CEO of Origin. Um, we are a technology company uh, developing technology to decarbonize the lime industry. And we're using that technology to springboard into at scale carbon dioxide removal. So big ambitions, but starting with a really tangible uh, industry opportunity in terms of the lime industry today. Great. Okay. Good. Good scene setter. So let let's start then. I mean, the lime sector. When we talked in part one, it's kind of fascinating. It's one I, I described it slightly clunkily as an invisible industry. But what I really meant by that was just it feeds into things in ways you really wouldn't expect when you're coming from the layman's perspective. But let's look at the UK particularly. Just give us some size and scope. What's the kind of volume of production? What's the size of the market here that, that you're targeting? Yeah, so UK is quite a small market in terms of lime demand. Um, if you think globally, it's 400 million tonnes. The UK market fluctuates between maybe a million to 1.2, 1.25 million tonnes of lime each year. Main end markets are the steel industry, but that's kind of the case globally as well. Um, we've also got construction building materials as a big consumer of lime. And then kind of growth areas would be maybe environmental uses. So wastewater treatment, flue gas desulfurization. Um, those are kind of your key main markets. To make it a bit more tangible, perhaps for uh, consumers, lime is also used in uh, the manufacturing of sugar. So all those Mars bars we eat or don't eat um, uh, have a huge amount of uh, lime that's used in those processes. And as I also mentioned, wastewater, but actually water purification. So those bottled waters that we're drinking typically have had lime involved in their production processes. Mm. And one of the, the stats that I hadn't heard before, but which you used um, in part one was uh, this kind of the sheer volume of CO2 produced from the processing um, of this material, of the ultimate end use material. I think you said that for, you know, for the 400 million tonnes of lime produced, there's 400 million tonnes of CO2. I didn't. I didn't misremember that, did I? Because I remember no. something like, oh my goodness, that's quite a quite a stat to play with. No, that, that's that's spot on, Alex. For every tonne of lime produced, about a tonne of CO2 is emitted. It depends on what your fuel source is. So if you're using coal, as uh, you know, rotary kilns might use, that's obviously more um, uh, environmentally unfriendly than perhaps using um, uh, biomass-derived pellets or natural gas or something like that. So on average, I think it's fair to say that a ton of lime results in about a ton of carbon dioxide emitted. Okay, so there we are. We have a bit of a how the land lies in the UK. We've got a bit of a feel for the level of uh, CO2 that the sector as a whole produces. And we're going to dive on into your, um, I think it's the first project to break ground, isn't it? This uh, project at Singleton Birch. Maybe you could just give a bit of a sense of, you know, as your first, first kind of landmark site, how did this come about? And um, yeah, tell us a bit about the scope for this project and, and, and where it is in the UK as well. Yeah, absolutely. So it's probably worth just um, introducing a, a little bit of history of origin here to understand how origin and Singleton Birch sparked up a relationship. And then I can kind of give an idea of Singleton Birch. So 
Um, our origins really primary focus or our, our vision statement is the atmosphere restored. So we believe that lime as a material is extremely valuable and extremely well placed for the purposes of at scale carbon dioxide removal. And so if we go back to the very beginnings of origin's story, Tim Kruger, who's the founder, recognized that lime had these great properties, uh, looked at utilizing lime in the oceans uh, to combat um, basically ocean acidification, but very quickly realized that there were social pressures and social hurdles that needed to be cleared before that became an accepted route. And really through that work, Tim reached out to Singleton Birch to better understand lime, lime characteristics, the manufacturing, the production of lime. And so that really prompted the initial engagements. And then really about three years or so ago, um, when I got involved with the business, I really picked up the engagement with Singleton Birch. Um, we raised some capital and really on the back of the combination of those two factors, we agreed to partner with the purposes here of building a pilot plant, which demonstrates the production of zero carbon lime. That is lime without any carbon dioxide emissions being vented into the atmosphere. So that's kind of where the, um, the, the idea and the project comes from. Singleton Birch themselves are a really interesting organization. So very old organization, been around since the 1800s. Um, real focus on sustainability. And Singleton Birch are actually owned by three of the biggest uh, charities in the UK. And as a result of that kind of ownership structure, they take a very long-term view in terms of investments and in terms of projects and in terms of sustainability. And so for us as an organization, very much focused on sustainability and Singleton Birch sharing those values, for me, it made great sense here for the two businesses to be working together and partnering on a project like this. Okay, and this is in the, the Humber region, so also kind of an interesting area in the UK for those who aren't, you know, from who, who are listening, who are not from the UK, obviously this is kind of one of the centres of um, offshore CCUS, onshore carbon capture in the UK. So there's probably some interesting affinity there between the project you're doing and some future possibilities. Yes, absolutely. And, and that actually is, is very key, Alex. So thanks for reminding me about that. So um, several months or so ago, CCUS phase one basically announced the two big industrial clusters in the UK that were going to have transport and storage infrastructure for carbon dioxide kind of developed and implemented. One was HiNet, which is the northwest kind of Liverpool way. The other is East Coast Cluster, which is Teesside and Humberside. And the exciting thing for this project and future projects with Singleton Birch is the CO2 pipeline is essentially going to go right past their front door. So that minimizes the amount of extra pipeline that we need. Uh, and access to that infrastructure is critical for being able to call our line zero carbon line. Let's have a look at the technology. I know it's always fun on an audio podcast to ask people to describe their technology, but see if you can paint a picture. Obviously, we, you've mentioned already it's a kiln technology, but what does that mean? Tell us about that. Yeah, so the best way really of explaining uh, what the technology is, is to compare it to existing technology. So um, it's also probably best just to explain how lime is, is typically manufactured. Now, for anybody from the lime industry who's listening to this, I really apologize if I've overly simplified it, but I think for the purposes of just uh, the layman, so to speak, uh, I am gonna deliberately keep it simple. So lime production is essentially akin to putting a lump of lime into an oven at about a thousand degrees centigrade. 
And to generate those temperatures of 1,000 degrees centigrade, I need to burn some form of fuel. That's typically natural gas, maybe coal, maybe biomass. And at that temperature, calcium carbonate, which is limestone, breaks down into lime, calcium oxide, and carbon dioxide. And that carbon dioxide uh, is quite dilute and at this point in time is emitted into the atmosphere. And that's where that kind of one for one ton of lime to one ton of CO2 comes from. The fundamental issue with that process is the combustion that occurs, occurs in air. There's a lot of nitrogen in air, which therefore means that there's a lot of nitrogen in the flue gas, which is why you have a dilute stream of CO2. With origins process, we're still generating temperatures of 1000 degrees centigrade, but we are combusting in oxygen, which means that we exclude nitrogen from that process. And we end up with a very high purity stream of carbon dioxide coming out of the top of the kiln, which makes it very easy to capture and do any additional cleanup that needs to happen before it's sent into a pipeline. So the key to this is oxycombustion. We've got some smart ways of significantly reducing the cost of the oxygen that is required for that process, which makes this economically viable. But we are ultimately generating lime, a high purity stream of CO2 that can ultimately be sequestered or stored. Listeners will be from backgrounds as diverse as industry to investment to other startups with different technologies. For those in investment or with that as a background, for those who are from other types of early stage tech, you know, often what we hear is, but what did the customer ask? Like, what hurdles did you have to overcome? What were the industrial clients' concerns or kind of question marks? Because it sounds, the way you just described it, it sounds like such a simple, obvious, no-brainer, switch this to this, you know, but there must have been, I'm sure, questions that came up along the way. So tell us a bit about that. Well, I think the overarching priority here for, for an industry like Lime it's, it's equivalent to cement as well, because limestone is a, is a key raw material for cement manufacturing, is really the carbon dioxide problem. So how, how are you going to solve this issue of carbon dioxide? And, and for us, obviously, there's the um, CO2, sorry, there's the oxyfuel side of things. That's really the key question. Some of the other questions that we are asked is um, the type of lime that we're producing. Now, Lime is not a homogenous product. You don't just get the same commodity spread across the whole industry and every user uses it in different ways. There are different types of lime, whether or not it's particle size, whether or not it's reactivity, whether or not it's other characteristics. Now, the characteristics of our lime are, I'd suggest, quite unique. Uh, we're powdered lime. We expect it to be highly reactive. That is not the largest portion of the entirety of the market, but Really understanding that and understanding the applications of that line are really critical here. So those are some of the questions that we get. And then I'd also just take this back to the bigger picture from an origin perspective. For us, carbon dioxide removal is really the end goal. And for us, when we were thinking about technology development, we were thinking, what are the characteristics of lime that we need to kind of get bang for buck in a per ton lime per tonne of CO2 removal. And so that's what kind of prompted us to go down the route that we've gone down here. I think the other point I would make, and it's maybe not questions per se that have come our way, but feedback that has come our way, for a lot of industries, and Lime is a, a really great example, 
there isn't one single silver bullet that is going to solve all of the carbon capture problems. You know, there are technologies that are perhaps more applicable across more end markets than necessarily other technologies. But for the lime industry, it's difficult to say there is one solution and it is origin solution that it, it, it's not going to quite be that way. Yeah, I, I think that's a really interesting point. That was one of the things that I took me, probably took me a little while to get my head around when I first started sort of stepping into this space of industrial decarbonization last year, that it's not just you will need a portfolio of technologies, but different sites will need different portfolios of technologies. And that kind of the impact of local geology or just the general geography across which a plant or company operates, I, yeah, I really hadn't expected that to be such a driver of certain types of decisions. Yeah, and I think that's one of the reasons why you see so many different technologies out there. You know, you can go through the whole list of amines, membranes, solid sorbents, integrated approaches. All of those solutions are viable solutions. They are just not necessarily single technologies that will dominate the entirety of a market, certainly in my opinion. I think there are space constraints for some industrial users. There are geographical constraints. There are the specific uh, properties of the flue gases. All of those things need to be considered when it comes to selecting the appropriate technology. Just uh, coming back to the project that we were talking about, Singleton Birch, um, just I mentioned that you'd broken ground. Was it the beginning of November? I, I think that's what you said. So yeah. where are you at and how, you know, what's the sort of timeline for the project? Yes, yeah, so you, you're right. We broke ground at the beginning of November. Breaking ground uh, entails basically some uh, soil stabilization, so steel piling. We've poured a concrete slab in the past uh, couple of days or maybe the past week or so now. Um, all of the equipment is ordered, so that's starting to arrive at Singleton Birch's site. And really the key components of this uh, in terms of uh, work plan begin in January. So January, we start building steelwork from the ground up. Uh, the bespoke pieces of uh, kit, which are origin design, start getting installed. Timeline-wise, we're expecting the build to complete kind of April time, 2022. We'll then move into a commissioning phase for three months or so, so uh, kind of uh, April, May, June. And then we're going to be moving into what we're terming commercial optimization, which is really taking a lot of this feedback we're getting from the lime industry and all the conversations we're having and really helping us better understand our technology, its application to the lime industry specifically, and as I said, optimizing technology. And in once it's kind of fully up and running, obviously you mentioned that location for Singleton Birch is great, once that offshore CCUS project is up and running, what, what happens in the interim? In the interim, we're, the pilot plant's small in the grand scheme of lime industry production. It's about 3,000 tonnes of lime and 3,000 tonnes of CO2 if we ran it 24-7, 365. So we're not producing huge amounts of lime here. We're not producing huge amounts of CO2. What, or what our plan is, it's essentially to capture that CO2. We'll sell that into the local market it's not going to be a huge amount of carbon dioxide. Um, so that's kind of the interim solution. Um, but just bear in mind, you know, the infrastructure is likely to be operational kind of 2025, 26. I might be being a bit optimistic there, um, but optimism's good. Um, so in time, we'll obviously be able to um, 
push that through the infrastructure for storage itself. Okay. I know when we were um, talking in the first part of our conversation, we were more focused on the US and we talked about kind of opportunities and, and perhaps more opportunities for particularly onshore storage in the US. Um, in the UK, like right now, there's there's less focus on storage. Yes, we have, you know, these projects that you mentioned that have been getting some funding, but I'm wondering, do you see the wider landscape changing here? Can you can you see a future where there's onshore storage? So I think that's an interesting question because uh, there are opportunities to store CO2 onshore in the UK. There are disused oil wells in uh, geographies like Lincolnshire and, and North Yorkshire or Yorkshire. And um, I think the reality is though, we have a lot of expertise in the North Sea, both from a UK perspective, a Norwegian perspective, a European perspective. And at the scales we are talking about in terms of tens, if not hundreds of millions of tons of carbon dioxide being stored in that area, um, it probably makes sense to leverage and repurpose the various different pieces of infrastructure we have there, as opposed to necessarily doing it onshore on the UK or in the UK. I think one of the key differences perhaps is the societal acceptance of storing CO2 onshore versus offshore. In the US, there's much more kind of onshore um, individual experience of hydrocarbon recovery as well as CO2 storage. And I think the barriers to, or the hurdles that have to be cleared societally are less in the US, which makes it well-placed onshore CO2 storage. In Europe and indeed the UK, I think that's a slightly different and slightly more difficult issue to tackle. And therefore the offshore side of things, I think really is the route to go here. So that being the case then, I mean, the projects that you may have in mind in the UK and the one you have at the moment, as you said, is a pilot stage. So it's relatively small quantities of CO2, but there will be a point hopefully by the late 2020s where we're talking at scale, CO2 recovery and transport. What's, what's needed now to make sure that we're ready for that, you know, in terms of transportation infrastructure, what, what do we need to be keeping our eyes open for? If I'm, if I'm an investor looking at companies that operate in this space, or if I'm a, an industrial, what are the things we should be advocating for or keeping an eye on to ensure that we're able to operate in at scale CCUS market? Well, I, I, think, I think we're on track. Uh, certainly the early steps are heading in the right direction. We've identified two, well, we've identified more than two clusters because there's important clusters up in Scotland as well. But as far as government support to get the early planning, permitting, stakeholder engagement, uh, assessments from a, a technical feasibility perspective, we're moving in the right direction. The reality is, Alex, these are massive infrastructure projects. They do just take a lot of time. If I just make a comparison here, out in the US, it's, it, it's expected to take at least three to five years from our side of things to get the appropriate planning, permitting, poor space acquisition, uh, et cetera, et cetera, really fully implemented. So I don't necessarily think that um, these things can happen any faster. It just needs the support. And it's a little bit chicken and egg because you are never going to build the infrastructure unless you know that there is going to be throughput of CO2 on that infrastructure. By the same token, as an industrial facility, I'm never going to invest a huge amount into carbon capture technologies unless I can do something 
productively, whether or not that is storage or utilization with that captured CO2. So balancing those two factors out, I do. I think we're heading in the right direction in the UK. Look, I'm, I'm a generally impatient person. I'd love this to be moving more quickly, but I actually think we've now got the momentum behind it. There is huge industrial support for these clusters that I'm talking about in the UK, and we just have to get on and, and, and deliver on it now. So I do want to revisit something you've mentioned both in part one and part two, which was something I, I didn't really know a lot about until you and I connected, which is the use of lime and zero carbon lime as a CO2 capture tool in and itself. So what's the scope for that? And what, yeah, tell, tell us more. The, the great property of lime, calcium oxide, is it has a natural affinity for carbon dioxide. Lime calcium oxide is, is an unstable material and it naturally wants to find itself in a stable carbonate form. And so that cycle, limestone to lime and back again, is called the lime cycle. And we're really trying to exploit that from a technology perspective. So by decarbonizing lime, we essentially end up with zero emissions of carbon dioxide into the atmosphere. And then for every ton of lime that reacts with carbon dioxide, it reacts with about 750 to 800 kilograms per tonne of lime produced. And so what that means is you're essentially going negative in terms of CO2 in the atmosphere or indeed CO2 uh, in flue gases. And utilizing that property allows us then to, as I said, decarbonize other processes or indeed remove CO2 from the air. So we're doing a huge amount of R&D. We've been very fortunate to receive some really significant funding from the UK government. We have got several academic partnerships with universities like uh, Oxford University, Heriot Watt, Cardiff University, Cranfield University, all really looking into ways in, ways in which we can leverage these properties of zero carbon line at scale for the purposes of, uh, of what I'm alluding to. What sort of line platform might exist or what way might it be used to do that? Is that something you've got to feel for you? To keep this really simple, to be honest, if, if we take something like cement curing or concrete curing, that curing process is carbon dioxide reacting with the calcium oxide in the material and basically solidifying it. So that is, that is what a CO2 removal process essentially, we're already doing it, that is what happens. And, and actually there are many processes where lime is currently used in end markets and a carbonation reaction is happening and CO2 is getting removed. So if we use some building material examples again, something like a hempcrete block uses a lime binder and as the lime reacts with carbon dioxide, it firms up the integrity of that structure. And that is essentially removing CO2. There's other routes you could go. You could think about spraying a lime wash on a material or on a surface, sorry. And that lime wash will react with CO2, sucking, that, sucking out CO2 from the air. We can spray it again and spray it again. There's other routes uh, that we're kind of looking at. So um, there are a huge number of avenues to explore. We've got a whole portfolio of ideas that we are trying to slim down to kind of focus on the here and now to get us to initial CO2 removal. And then a whole host of other ideas that catapult us to scale, 
Um, and they all look different depending on, on kind of the route that we end up pursuing. What next for Origin? What you talked about this project um, here in the UK, you talked in part one about the partnership with Vault in the US, but what's on the horizon in terms of fundraising or other activities? Well, I think that the, the two key items, uh, aside from fundraising for the moment, are very much get the pilot plant operational, which, as I said, should be operational uh, middle of next year. The second aspect is really to drive towards collaboration with the lime industry. So we're out in the US focusing on some of the key players there in large part because of the ability to store CO2 and some incentives. But that does not mean we're neglecting the UK uh, and indeed Europe, far from it. Um, there's several opportunities in the UK for us to build scaled up kits, again, with Singleton Birch, leveraging this transport and storage infrastructure. So what we're really trying to do now is take that pilot plant and scale it with partners. That's the key aspect. Running in parallel with that is obviously this technology development for the purposes of CO2 removal. And we've got some really talented engineers and then a new CTO who's really driving that side of things forward. I guess, unfortunately, for some people, fortunately for other people, this is really capital intensive. Uh, you can't get away from the fact that building big pieces of equipment do cost money. So from a fundraising perspective, as we start scaling this technology up, we ourselves are gonna to need to raise uh, incrementally larger amounts of capital. So we'll be doing a smaller fundraise kind of early next year, but the key one is really Q3, Q4, 2022 which would be to really drive us forward in terms of scale up of technology, as well as some of that additional R&D I was talking about. Great. OK, well, Ben, thank you very much for talking to us. Great to have two parts of that conversation, both about the US and the UK markets. And we'll look forward to seeing the completion of that first pilot project and perhaps reconnect then. Absolutely. Follow us at OriginCarbonSolutions.com. Uh, we've got more blog posts coming out there. We're sending out more information as we kind of uh, develop the business. So yes, keep, keep an eye on us. All right. And for listeners, you can check our show notes. I'll make sure that we include um, some great links for you just to explore a little more as well. Thanks again, Ben. Super. Thank you very much, Alex. Thanks, everybody. Many thanks for listening to the Decarb Connect podcast. We work with clients across the industrial sectors specifically those who are tasked with decarbonizing the most energy intensive products and materials that we use every day. If you have an interest in uh, learning more about either our members network, our reports or our event series, do get in touch with us at decarbconnect.com. Or if you'd like to take part in the podcast, email me, alex at ac at decarbconnect.com. Thanks for listening.